So they're on the last tackle, and Cooper's gone for a long-range shot. Oh, oh it's got plenty oh, of distance. Oh, my goodness gracious me, what a kick. What a kick from Cooper. Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. My name is Ben Qualiata. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I did something really unique about six weeks ago and launched a sports blog. I know, never been done before. Uh, so beyondthefence.com.au. And basically on there, I just write, uh, I guess, whatever stories I want about the sports that I like. So a lot of rugby league, uh, basketball, some soccer, cricket. But yeah, one thing that we did about a week ago came out was the NRL Twitter season preview where basically I got one fan from each team to answer a set of questions and, you know, pretty much tell me how they were feeling heading into the season. And that did really well. So feel free to go check that out on beyondthefence.com.au. But yeah, episode one of Beyond the Fence, the podcast, working title, is basically just a review of round one, some things I liked and didn't like from each game, uh, some chat about the new rules. yeah, I think you'll find my opinions on those pretty clear pretty soon. Uh, yeah, this isn't going to be an NRL central, uh, NRL centric podcast. It's just, I guess, the most topical thing right now is that round one is in the books. We've got some plenty of stuff to talk about. Uh, also, in future podcasts, I will be getting guests on, but unfortunately, for episode one, you'll have to deal with me and just me. So. If you're willing to suffer through that, then thank you. I appreciate it. Otherwise, I don't blame you for turning off right now. But yeah, I think the most, the easiest place to start is, I guess, some reaction about the new rules that the ARLC has brought in. You know, it's trying to speed up the game, which they don't claim is happening, but then all their promotional materials saying, you know, we're making the game faster, making the game faster, speeding up the pace of play, bringing the little man into it, quote unquote, you know, all these things. Uh, And I think what we saw in round one was definitely a faster game, at least from the eye test. I mean, you know, Graham Annesley and Andrew Abdo, Peter Volandis can say whatever they want um, about, they can bring all these statistics uh, statistics in, you know, saying, you know, the ball was in play for, you know, 7% less compared to round one last year, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it was a really obvious sign about 55, 60 minutes into the game the players were just gassed. Like, there was some boys struggling out there. And yeah, you can say the weather, you know, because it's early in the season, it's a bit hotter than what we're used to. But even so, usually players aren't... Like, the, the, some of the state of the games, they were just tired runs. They were very slow. Everyone had turned into a plotter. I don't think fans have exactly asked for the game to be sped up. I don't think there was any complaints about the pace. And I think eliminating scrums for the well most of the scrums has two pretty obvious effects at least from my point of view one it's going to increase fatigue or speed up the rate of fatigue so the players will obviously get tired quicker that's not you know scientific you know revolutionary thought uh but when the rate of injuries later in the season start mounting especially for like fatigue based injuries and soft tissue injuries etc I think we're going to point to players not being used to this pace of play. And players have even complained about it in preseason, not being able to breathe and just generally keeping the ball in play longer and being faster. 
So maybe things like that will improve as the season goes on and players get more conditioned to it. Um, but for me, the, it was kind of an ugly watch, uh, reducing that. And the other impact, I think, with reducing scrums is you, you get rid of scrum plays. Like, how many tries have been scored off the, great, off the back of great scrum plays? Like, I don't recall watching last season and thinking, you know what? The scrum is really slowing down the game. That's the one thing we need to get rid of. Not lengthy bunker reviews, not, you know, pointless captain's challenges, scrums. That's my main issue with the game. Uh, The other rule I really don't like, and I don't think this is going to change, is the set restarts for inside the 10 penalties. There was a really clear example in Broncos Eels on Friday night where the Broncos were pinned, like they were pinned, in, against their own try line. And ironically, this set ended up in Brody Croft bombing the try. But Parramatta were jumping off their line. They were five metres offside. They were just gassing the Broncos out. And yeah, they were giving away set restarts, but the Broncos weren't getting any metres. So they would concede two or three set restarts in a row just to you know smash the Broncos. Where's the advantage in that? The Broncos were two metres away from their own try line, getting absolutely wrecked, but all they're getting is set restarts while Parramatta are fresh, they've recovered and they're just smashing them on their own try line. At some point, the ref's got to have the discretion and apparently the refs do have discretion to blow penalties for repeated infringements. So I have no idea why nothing was blown in that instance. So that's a really troubling one because it comes to a point where there's no benefit for the team with the ball because teams, and this was a a fear of this new rule in the preseason, is that teams would pin the team against their own try line, give away a couple of set restarts just to like, you know, really tie them out, and then get their defensive line set, and then go. It's teams gaming the system. And I know that that's something that the NRL really don't want to happen. So it'll be interesting to see how, I guess, they react to some of the fallout from the first week and the, the complaints from the fans about um, at least for me, how this rule was interpreted. Because I don't think it's meant to be interpreted that way. And maybe we'll see more penalties and more ref- referee um, discretion in round two. Um, something that has been announced to be changed is the clock being reset after a bunker review. And this was something that fortunately didn't really impact any of the games this week because there were no real close games and there were no late bunker reviews. But one thing that a lot of fans noticed is every time a try was scored, and I don't, I, this one of the new rules I actually don't mind, just if you think it's a try, give it, let the bunker look at it in the background. I think it works well in the NFL. It's a good rule, I think, to implement here if it's implemented well. What I don't like is, uh, for example, let's say a try is awarded and then they're looking at it and the clock's running. Then they realize that there's a mistake, like a knock on, a knock on or whatever. 90 seconds, two minutes, however long has gone off the clock, has gone off the clock. And in round one, that clock time didn't get added back on. So what ha- would have happened if it was a close game in the last two minutes, let's say, a team has just gone behind and then they review it, and it's actually no try, but the clock's kept running, and then the game's over, or there's like, you know, no time left. 
So that's good that they've realized that, that the time will then be restored to the whistle blowing. So the clock will keep running. But if there's a mistake, and this is my interpretation, I could be reading it wrong. But if there's a mistake in the build-up, it will go back to the last point. Like the clock will be wound back to whenever the ref last blew the whistle, which I like. So I'm glad they fixed that. But yeah, I'm not a fan of the way they're interpreting the six again uh, for 10 metres because that's really not a benefit to team. Like, you think the Broncos wouldn't have wanted yardage by kicking for touch, getting a breather. They don't want, you know, seven, eight, nine tackles in a row on their own goal line trying to get out when the parameter reels have really just set themselves, giving away a couple of tactical penalties just to get reset and then go. Of course, the Broncos would like to kick for touch, um, you know, get 25, 30 metres out from their own line. So hopefully we'll see some more actual penalties blown. But yeah, I'm still not a huge fan of the scrum um, turning into a restart and then pretty much speeding up the game. Because a lot of those games on the weekend, the quality of the play after an hour was gross. And I think we're putting too much value on the perceived entertainment of a little guy running free in the last 15 minutes you know, on the off chance that they're going to make a break and score. Like, if we're turning this game into, you know, glorified Oz tag, a lot of fans have put it like that, where defensive lines are staggered, and it's just dummy hard. It's just a lot of went out running, trying to break a broken line. You know, I don't think that's where the game should be going. But other than that, I think we got a lot of interesting talking points out of round one, just from a pure football perspective. So I just wanted to quickly go through each of the games. I did manage to catch all the games. Um, being round one, I think you kind of have to. Uh, and I wanted to start, obviously, Thursday night, the season opener, Storm Rabbitohs. Boy, oh boy, did Melbourne start strong. People were worried. And, you know, with good reason, they've lost one of the, the greats of the game in Cameron Smith. You know, they're worried, oh, how would they respond? Grand final hangover, blah, blah, blah. You know, all these these tired old tropes of a team defending their premiership. And they just came out, and let's be honest, the Rabbitohs have entered the season favourites on a lot of people's ladders and a lot of people's predictions. Like, a lot of people are thinking the Bunnies are going to make it very deep into September, maybe even October. And the Storm just blew them away in that first 10, 15 minutes. You know, Cameron Munster, Ryan Pappenhausen, have they've really gone to a new level and they have to go to a new level without the guidance of Cameron Smith around there. Brandon Smith, I'll admit, I was worried about him at hooker. So I think he's better as a back rower running, but he was excellent as well. I think he gives them something different until Harry Grant comes back. The issue I saw with the Storm, and this is ultimate nitpicking, is the one thing they're going to miss with Cam with Cam Smith being gone, is their game management late? And this won't be an issue against most of the teams because Melbourne are still amazingly good. They've still got, you know, stacks of origin and international talent on their list. But I think you saw later on in the game when South started making their run, usually the experienced guys like Cameron Smith would have done well with that game management. I'm not saying Cam Munster's inexperienced. I'm not saying that at all. But I think they missed, I guess, Smith's presence at times. Um, but again, like I said, against South Sydney, 
this season, that's going to happen. They're going to come back in a lot of games. They're going to obviously not roll over and give up a smashing. And I think also that points to the new rule change that with the sped-up game, Souths were able to make that comeback more easily than if they had, you know, in seasons gone past, someone would have been kicking for touch, they would have set the scrum, would have taken a minute or so off the clock, and everyone resets. But I think with that being eliminated, that that allowed Souths to come back into it quicker with the constant restarts and allowing their um, athletes, their stars, like Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker, who were both excellent, I thought, um, to start working their way back into the game. So I think that's also an impact of the new rules, is that it's going to allow uh, teams to not manage the game as well because they can't kick for touch and waste time because it's now a restart instead of a scrum. I don't think it's going to be a huge change, but I think it's definitely one to keep an eye out as we move through the season. Um, but yeah, Souths, I thought, looked good. Like, they looked great when Benji came on. I think people were a bit sceptical of how much he had left to give, but him in a ball-playing role in the middle was, I thought, a really inspired um, bit of coaching there from Wayne Bennett, just to get him in the middle, have him roam. And I know how much we like to banter about the term of ball-playing lock, uh, but honestly, the, the game really turned when he came. And also, the fact that South Sydney were able to run out Jai Arrow from the bench. Like, Arrow came on and absolutely dominated the middle. He was the best forward on the park when he came on. He was easily South's best forward. I think Cam Murray was a bit disappointing. But when Jai Arrow came on, he just absolutely ran right through Melbourne. He had a really strong game. But that really speaks to their depth, that they're getting him off the bench. I wonder if he'll stay on the bench. I was a little bit surprised they'd start Jacob Host over Arrow. Personally, I might start Arrow at lock and move Murray onto the edge. But this is really nitpicking a really strong pack. So I think Souths will be just fine. They just ran into a really good Melbourne performance in round one. Uh, Newcastle against Canterbury. I mean, there's, on, there's really two names here that I want to talk about for Newcastle. Daniel Saifidi. Well, Daniel Saifidi. I've written on my... So how this works, I've got a little show sheet in front of me. Or I've written some notes down. And my notes for this game is just Saifidi, Saifidi, Saifidi. Because he was awesome. Like, he's just running through the middle. And the Bulldogs, let's be honest, are not one of the stronger propositions this season. But I think this game was a combination of their pack being quite poor. And Daniel Saifidi and David Klemmer. And all of Newcastle's pack were good, but Saifidi in particular, he was on fire. Yes, he got two tries. I know that's going to draw a lot of attention. But I think his running, he bent the line a lot. He was just really, really, you know, quick play the balls, getting their speed men in. And combined with the introduction of Connor Watson, who I was frustrated started on the bench after being named at lock. But Connor Watson came on and he made a difference as well, getting through the middle. Because the game started quite slow. But once he came on, the game really exploded. So I was a big fan of his inclusion. I think that was actually a really good move from O'Brien in the end to get him in there. Just running around the middle... Really, really, you know, his energy, his hard running. But the Bulldogs, there's still a lot of problems there. I think there were some good signs, but, and I think it's pretty obvious, this dog's list is still just lacking something. I know it's like Avarillo's still a young guy at half, uh, at 5'8", and they've just brought in Carl Flanagan, so I'm willing to give them a pass early on while they adjust to that combination. Um, but 
there wasn't much of a plan for the dogs, I'll be honest. Um, I think they're still lacking a bit of talent just throughout their side in general. And there was just a lot of one-out running and just a lot of, you know, just there was just no plan, really. Like, if you look at their team list for round one, there's a lot of guys that are either fairly one-dimensional or just straight up, in my opinion, not first-graders. Uh, Sione Katoa at hooker. A hooker is so important. I'm so surprised that certain teams... I'll get to this in, the, in a bit. Cough, manly cough. But I'm so surprised that teams continue to devalue the hooker position. But Sione Katoa is not it. I watched him run around at Penrith for four years trying to convince myself he was it. And he'll have moments, but at this point in his career, I'm, I'm su- so surprised you can't find anyone else. Like, think guys like Nathan Peets are just sitting on the scrap heap. Nathaniel Roach is playing Reggie's at Parramatta, for God's sake. Uh, Katoa is just so one-dimensional, I think. Uh, Ofheki Ogden had a quiet game. He has so much more to offer than what he showed. Jack Hetherington is legitimately going to get charged with aggravated assault at some point this season. He is just a suspension waiting to happen. Um, Adam Elliott, I thought, was actually really good, so I'll give him a pass mark. Corey Waddell is what he is at this point. Same with Josh Jackson. Um, the halves, like I said, I'll give them a pass. But their backs as well. Will, Will Hoppawaiti's got the quality, but Nick Kotrick, Dallin Wattini's Lesniak, Nick Meany, they're just, they're just kind of guys at this point in their careers. Like You know what you're getting with them. They're going to run well, but there's just not a lot of attacking, I guess, football IQ, for, for lack of a better term. So yeah, it's a team that, uh, and it it was said a lot last year, they played hard, but they didn't play smart. I think that was a similar case in round one this year. Hopefully they improve, because I think they've got some guys that if they can click, they'll do well enough that, you know, they're not going to make the eight. But there are, but there are some storylines uh, on the dogs that I really want to see pan out well. Like, I like Nick Kotrick. I like Corey Allen. I like Nick Meany. I like Jake Averillo, and I want Flanagan to do well. Um, as long as Barrett, you know, Trent Barrett as a coach is what he is. Like, I'm not a huge fan of him getting another head coaching gig. Uh, but it is round one, so I'll give them a pass for now. But yeah, I didn't see much from them to really convince me that uh, a lot was going to change. Uh, Eels Broncos. This was quite honestly, for me, the game of the round. Uh, outside of uh, Melbourne versus uh, South on Thursday night. This was the most even game, I thought, quite surprisingly. Uh, Brisbane came out, and they played with a lot of energy. Parramatta were awful. Now, in my ladder prediction, I had Parramatta sliding into the bottom half of the top eight. I don't think they'll miss the eight. But I didn't see anything from them on Friday to dispel this notion that I have that they've kind of stayed still while other teams have improved. I think, because Para came third last year, you look at the teams in that same, I guess, bracket as them. Souths have really improved. They've brought in some great buys. Canberra have improved. What have Para done? They've largely got the same squad. I don't see any real... 
like you know they're banking on a lot of guys to to be better than they were last year they're banking on internal improvement which is a sound strategy if it works but i think at this point you're relying on mitchell moses and clint gutherson to take the next step and that's the key question and i know they ended up winning but they allowed themselves to get dominated for an entire half by you know a brisbane team that were playing very well but probably playing a bit above themselves and i think that ended up coming crashing down to earth in the second half uh, but some games I did want to, uh, some players did want to highlight for Parramatta. Isaiah Papali'i uh, came off the bench and straight up dominated. He was incredible, I thought. But it was a questionable coaching decision, I thought, to swap the second rowers. Sean Lane and Ryan Madison were great last year, playing on their edges. Sean Lane was on the left, Ryan Madison on the right. I don't know why they swapped that around this year. Because they just looked lost. Edge combinations are so important. You build the chemistry with the guy. You jam in together in defense. You slide together in defense. You read the pass in attack. You know, you're always supporting, you know, running the right depth so that you're not throwing forward passes. Parramatta had that last year with their guys on their sides. I don't know why Brad Arthur has tinkered with it. It showed in the first half. Parramatta were just out of sync. If you're changing edge combinations, that throws the whole rhythm off because you've got combinations that haven't defended together before. So you've got guys rushing in when other guys are sliding, creating overlaps. And you've got guys in attack who aren't expecting offloads or running the wrong depth. You know, they're too far back. They're not pushing up in support. And it just creates this kind of confusion in your whole roster, in your whole team. Luckily for Parramatta, they sorted it out. But I, I'm very surprised that Brad Arthur tinkering like that. Uh, for the Broncos, contract year Anthony Milford is undefeated. Um, in our hearts, he was really, really good in the first half. Some of the the reads he was making, he was laying on tries. He was just, I think, a cut above the rest of the Brisbane team. But I did also want to shout out Jake Turpin. I think Turpin was very, very strong. Um, and I think his service from dummy half looked good. But he was just everywhere in the middle, tackling, uh, pushing up in support, running... Uh, he was one of Brisbane's best. So I think if they get that same performance from him and Anthony Milford keeps going on his level, regardless of who they pick at halfback, um, and Jermaine Asako I thought was also very good at fullback, that's the makings of a, a nice little spine there. Turpin's still very young. Asako's inexperienced at fullback. So once they both get that experience, I think that's a spine that, again, I don't think they'll make the eight, but it's a spine that could uh, do some things this season. Because I think they've got enough talent just throughout that roster to not be... Like, they can't be as bad as last year, let's be honest. But definitely, you know, Brisbane showed me some stuff that makes me... You know, that impressed me. And maybe that was just Parramatta being desperately awful in the first half. But Brisbane, I thought, played well. Uh, moving on to Super Saturday. And... I guess, in theory, the only upset of the round. Uh, Warriors versus Titans on the Central Coast. Probably the hottest game of the round in terms of pure weather. There was water breaks in this one. And this was a, ga- it was a very ugly game. Um, you know, the both teams just looked destroyed. And I think this was the game where you, hi- you saw the uh, speed of the game increases the most clearly. 
because there were some periods in this game where it was just one out hit ups, kick, one out hit ups, kick, you know, turning effectively into rugby union. Like it was a very, very slow grinding game. Um, but the Warriors, in the end, got on top. I want to start with the Gold Coast, though. There was, for me, no, uh, excuse me, no visible attacking game plan from the Gold Coast. Uh, Ash Taylor and Jamal Fogarty weren't good. There was a lot of, you know, directionless running. They've got a few new players, you know, Patrick Herbert, uh, Dave Fafita and Tino Fasua Malawi all debuted. But I think there was just a lot of guys not being on the same page, um, poor fifth tackle options, just general, you know, lack of attention to detail. Um, and I was really unimpressed with the Titans as a whole. Uh, their middles were soft. You know, they allowed it. What I think is a good Warriors pack, um, definitely underrated and undervalued by a lot of people, but I'll get to them in a second. Uh, yeah, they just let the Warriors pretty much dictate the whole game. You know, the Warriors controlled everything. I thought Cody Nicarima was really good. Uh, Chanel Harris-Tavita had moments, but I thought he was a bit disappointing considering the talent he has and, you know, first shot to make that spot his own. Um, but, yeah, the Titans. Dave Fafita was pretty invisible. Tino had patches, but again, he didn't really get into the game. But yeah, let's talk about the Warriors pack, because I saw a lot of people predicting the Warriors to be bottom four, like cannon fodder, uh, which I was quite surprised about, because I honestly looked at the Warriors team, and I thought, you know, they've always had decent outside back depth, like they've got two of the best wingers in the game in terms of finishing off moves, scoring tries, uh, but also bringing the ball out from the back of uh, the field. You know, Ken Mamalo and David Fusatua are really good at gaining meters and, like I said, finishing off tries. They've got one of the best fullbacks in the game in Tuovaza Shek for one more season. Um, their halves, I guess, are kind of the, you know, the point of difference. You know, how they play will determine a lot of things. You know, can they be more consistent? I think Nicarima, like I said, played well. Harris Tavita, not as much. But the Warriors forward pack, I think, has been severely undervalued by a lot of punters heading into the season. They've brought in Adam Fenor Blake, who's one of the best front rowers in the game on his day. And yes, admittedly, his day doesn't didn't probably come enough last season for Manly's liking. But, you know, when he's focused and playing well, he is an origin candidate for New South Wales. There's no doubt about that. They've got a very good middle rotation just in general with Fenor Blake, uh, Jermaine Tanoa Brown, Ben Murdoch Masilla, and Leeson Armau, and Bunty Afoa. But they've also got quite possibly one of the best middles in the game in general in Torhu Harris. And his impact on this team and on this game as well was clear to see. He was putting his hand up and taking a lot of runs. He was bringing guys with him, offloading it. And just, you could see the impact he was having on this pack. He's the leader of this pack. And I think it was really important for the Warriors to re-sign him when they did going into this season because now they've got a cornerstone to build on. And they've got a good forward pack. Wade Egan's a plus hooker. Like, he is a good hooker in the NRL, especially when certain teams cough, manly cough. 
just refuse to acknowledge the hooker position, like Wade Egan is someone who can lead an NRL team around. Your hooker doesn't have to be special. They don't have to be Cam Smith or Harry Grant or Damian Cook or whoever. But if your hooker provides good service, which Egan does, he can run from dummy half, which he can do. If he needs to, he can kick. He's not a primary kicker, but he's got that in him. He can turn teams around and he tackles well. Yes, he, he's a plus hooker. So I think the Warriors 4-pack has been really undervalued, and I'm surprised at that. I have them in ninth, admittedly, not making that, but I think they will annoy a lot of teams this season. They've got the talent to win games, and like uh, Jason Oliver, who was our Warriors contributor for the preview, uh, he said, you know, the forward pack has enough proven and up-and-coming talent, plus, you know, a good spine and natural attacking talent. You know, they can they have the points in them to play finals footy. The questions with the Warriors are their defense and their coaching. You know, Nathan Brown is going to be divisive. You People point with his time at Newcastle and will go, well, that was at Newcastle. This Warriors team is historically, you know, being rather inconsistent. It's just not going to work. But, but this Warriors team has the talent definitely to play finals football. There's just certain things that are working against them. But I think they played really well in the weekend and I'm surprised that they've been undervalued as much as they have. Uh, Manly versus the Roosters. I don't want to spend too much time on this game because it was just an absolute bloodbath. Uh, the Roosters, you know, couldn't have asked for an easier round one performance. It was a it was a trial. It was a training run. They were playing against training cones. Uh, the, the Roosters forward pack dominated. The Morris twins are still, you know, 25-year-olds and 36-year-old bodies or 34-year-old bodies. Uh, Luke Keary was controlling. Daniel Tedesco did his thing. Yeah, easy game for them. But Manly, like, they're a bit of a basket case right now. They were playing... They came into this game without a recognised hooker. Lachlan Croker played hooker. And they had Tavita Funa on the bench as, I guess, the utility, who ended up playing six minutes. Then it came out throughout the week that Des Hasler was going to play Jake Trebojevic at hooker uh, for stretches. And that was met with, I think, the polite way to say that is... A few scratching of heads uh, around rugby league circles. Uh, and then you find out that Cade Cust, who everyone thought had injured himself in the trial against the Tigers. I think it was the Tigers, might have been another trial. But he thought he injured himself in the trials and was out for a few weeks. Was actually perfectly fine in playing for Blacktown in uh, reserve grade. So Manly have gone into this game with no hooker. Uh well, I mean, Croker is hooker by name, but not by nature. A forward pack that's good, but I don't think really has the capacity to, you know, dominate anyone in the middle, which is really going to be tough for their halves to really get any sort of platform going if their forwards can't match other teams. Uh, their back line was very, very poor. Dylan Walker was poor. Ruben Garrick and Brad Parker still being in first grade is really just an indictment of the state of the manly outside backs right now. Uh, I mean, surely they've got... And I know Tom, Tom Tabojevic is injured, and that you know, covers a lot of holes, but this manly side is not first grade quality right now. And I know they came up against the Roosters, but they're playing the Rabbitohs again uh, this week, and I think it's going to be another bloodbath. 
uh, I guess we'll just see how Des treats his team selections this week. We'll see if Cade Cust comes back. What I thought was extremely hilarious, though, was uh, being announced during the week that Carl uh, Lawton had been released from the Warriors to take up an opportunity elsewhere. Everyone's like, oh, that's interesting. And then it comes out he's signed for Manly. So it's great that Manly has signed a hooker. The only issue is that Carl Lawton is injured and not due back until round 19. So I don't know what the go is there, but yeah, it's just very, very poor roster management from Manly and very head-scratching decisions from Dez. That Yeah, this squad is just, it's not going to do anything this season unless there's marked internal improvement, but they were just dire. Um, and yeah, not really a visible path to improvement anytime soon, I think. Moving on to the last game on Super Saturday, Penrith and North Queensland. Again, don't want to spend too much time on this one because this one was a bit of a snoozer as well, even though Penrith are my team. But they just weren't tested. Like it was, it was again, a training run for them. The Cowboys, as Todd Payton said, completely killed themselves, giving up so much ball, missing easy tackles. Um, I guess the main talking point out of this game was the handling of Jason Taumalolo. Coming into the season, we knew Todd Payton was going to restrict his minutes to around the 50 mark to reduce burnout, which isn't the most crazy strategy. But you've got a guy who averages 200, run, uh, 200 running meters a game. He's in the prime of his career. You get that guy on the field. Him being on the field, I don't think would have made too much of a difference in this game because the, the Cowboys were poor. Uh, Jake Clifford and Michael Morgan didn't have great games in the halves. Like Penrith were just not tested at all. They had a few sets on their own line to defend, and they did it comfortably. Uh, Penrith themselves weren't great. Uh, it was a real warm-up game for them. The left edge, which was much vaunted coming into the season, kind of struggled. There was just a lot of, I guess, just a bit too much showboating, I thought. Uh, Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary did what they had to do in the end. But definitely room for improvement for Penrith. But yeah, they just weren't tested. And the Cowboys, they were really, really disappointing. They beat themselves more than Penrith beat them. Moving on to the Sunday and the first game down at Canberra, Raiders versus Tigers. Uh, I was doing pretty well in my footy tipping. I was five out of six. I just tipped the Titans instead of the Warriors. But then, yeah, I tried to be a bit smart on Sunday. And I went for both the Tigers and the Dragons. And that clearly didn't work out. Uh, Tigers, I don't think much has changed from last year, just on a first glance. Last year, they were known for holding up in defense really well until that first try came in and then floodgates. That kind of happened again. They hit the, they hit the front first, but then once Manly, oh, sorry, once the Raiders got that first try, yeah, the, the resistance pretty much melted away. Uh, Again, the Tigers' halves, this is where it's going to be won and lost for them. And I know it's obvious that the halves, of course, are the most important position. But I think James Roberts didn't have anything. He didn't have any ball. Uh, Joey Lelua had an up-and-down game. Let's leave it at that. Nofaluma didn't have much ball. The forward pack played all right. Luke Garner had a couple of absolute brain fades, especially, you know, Canberra's uh, first try, I think it was, the direct results, it might have been their second try, but, you know, the direct results of a dumb Luke Garner penalty taking out a kick chaser 
when it was a comfortable bomb for Dane Laurie, who, by the way, had a great game, probably the Tigers' best. But Luke Brooks and Moses Embai, uh, to be polite, didn't play. They, I don't think there was any game plan from them. They were consistently caught with the ball on the last tackle. The fifth tackle options were extremely poor, to say the least. Uh, kicks were going out on the full or going dead or just, you know, not putting the Raiders back three under any pressure whatsoever. Everything they had, they diffused with ease. And then Jack Whiten didn't really need to do much. George Williams, I thought, had a great game. But the Raiders' forward pack was really where this game was won. Their forward bench rotation was an absolute joke. When you can bring on Sia Soliola, uh, I forget names, Ryan Sutton, and Ryan James, and Silva Harvili, then that is the mark. Like, that is a starting forward pack at some of the, the clubs that we've seen this weekend. Like, that forward pack pretty much starts for Manly. Um, but yeah, the, Ryan Sutton, when he came on, just dominated. But I thought Hudson Young was quite possibly the best forward on the ground for Manly. Uh, for Manly, I keep saying Manly. Uh, for the Raiders, I thought he was just absolutely exceptional. And I wanted to... Uh, bring to light something. And if you haven't, again, if you haven't read the collaborative NRL Twitter season preview, I would highly recommend it because it is some great work from uh, everyone that's contributed, uh, except me, because I didn't contribute to it. Uh, but Jack Cronin, who is our Raiders contributor for it, uh, he included this in some bonus takes and he didn't have to do that. So thanks to Jack, but I'm glad he did because one of his bonus takes was Hudson Young breaking out. Uh, it just points to his positional versatility, regardless of whether or not he's playing on an edge uh, or in the middle. He's going to have a huge role to play in a stacked Raiders pack, and he wouldn't be surprised if Hudson Young is in the origin discussion at some point this season, providing that he, I guess, to use Jack's words, keeps fingers out of eyes and his marbles unscrambled. Which is fair, because Hudson Young plays on the edge, and you like guys like that that are on your team. When they play on the edge, they know when not to go over the edge. That's Hudson Young's challenge, but from what I saw on Sunday, he was outstanding. But yeah, the Tigers, they just have to improve their attacking structure. They just have to get Dane Laurie involved more. They have to get James Roberts involved more. They can't keep getting caught with the ball in their halves' hands on the fourth or fifth tackle with no option but a shoddy kick or getting tackled with it and not put the back three of the opposing team under any pressure. So yeah, some real big improvements, because I think they defended well, but in attack, they didn't really have much threat for the Raiders, and they were fairly comfortable in the end. And then the last game of the round was the Sharks and Dragons, the Southern Derby. Um, kind of a, you know, a typical last game of the round, really. Um, the Sharks, I actually thought, were surprisingly good. I know that they were playing the Dragons, and they were expected to win, except for me, because I tipped the Dragons. Um, but what I was impressed to see with the Sharks was Matt Moylan. Coming into the season, and especially with Sean Johnson being uh, out with injury until, you know, round eight or so, this team is pretty much on Matt Moylan's back um, to lead them around. Because Chad Townsend does what he does, but Matt Moylan is the point of difference for this team. If he leads them around and he provides that attacking spark, then the Sharks team, I think, has enough talent in the forward pack to hang around the finals um, picture until Sean Johnson gets back, and then that's when they can make their run. 
I do think that the Sharks forwards um, are probably not on the same level of quality as some of the other teams hovering around that 6-8 to eight discussion. You know, the other teams outside of the, the strong top five that I've got of the uh, Roosters, Rabbitohs, Panthers, Storm and Raiders. But, you know, Toby Rudolph had a good game. Aaron Woods had a pretty good game, I thought. You know, the Sharks forwards just controlled the game, really. Uh, the Dragons started off really slow. They needed to rely on a, a bit of individual brilliance to try and get back into the game. Uh, Matt Dufty, always good to see him play well. I thought Ben Hunt had his moments. Um, and that's really the question for the Dragons, is how Ben Hunt can lead this team around. I don't think he played poorly. I think, like I said, he had his moments. Um, but yeah, he's just... I think the problem with Ben Hunt, and it's not even a problem with Ben Hunt, it's a problem with the Dragons in general, they're not really putting him in a position to succeed. You've got a guy who was the halfback on, you know, a premiership quality, or a grand final team in the Broncos. Less said about that grand final, the better for the Broncos. But he was on a team that made the grand final as the halfback, you know, one of the, if not the most important position on the team. And then you put him on the Dragons, you give him no forwards, really, like no good forwards, and Andrew McCulloch at hooker, you know, a past at Andrew McCulloch. And of course he's going to look, you know, like a dime a dozen halfback. So I think Ben Hunt definitely has talent, but I don't think the Dragons are using him well. But I do think he played well on Sunday. There's the Dragons... A bit like the Bulldogs. They play hard but not smart and they just don't have the dogs uh the excuse me. They don't have the horses. Um just the talent probably isn't there throughout the squad. So it's gonna be a tough season for the Dragons, I think. And that's not exactly a hot take or anything. But I don't think there's gonna be enough there unless they can get some of those that like this season is really about development for the Dragons. You know, guys like Dufty, Cody Ramsey, Ravalala, Lomax. You know, they've got pieces. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be a, a tough season for the Dragons. Then I don't really see them doing much. All right. So that was, I guess, just round one in, what, 40 minutes or so? Um, like I said, I guess we'll just have to wait and see with these rule changes, but I'm really not buying them as being beneficial to the game especially if the interpretation of the six again uh, for 10-meter offsides keeps going the way it's going. I don't think it's a benefit to the team with the ball at all. I think at some point teams just want the yardage. They want to take the breather and they want to kick it out. Um, so yeah, refs continuing to just keep waving six again. It's really not going to help the game at all. Um, and then removing the scrums, in increasing the play, the pace of the play. Yeah, I think everyone's made their thoughts pretty clear on that. In terms of actual football, I don't think we've, uh, I don't think much has changed. I think the the one real, uh, I think everyone bought into the Titans hype, me included. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see how they respond. But it, it was a bit worrying for them first up how they played against the Warriors. But I think we've already got kind of a clear tier at the top, at least for me, with the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the Roosters, Storm, Panthers, and Raiders. And I guess. It's kind of a, going to be a scrap. I know it's round one, but it's ridiculous to make claims now. But I think we've learned a lot. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see how next week goes. I'm very interested in particular to see how Manly go, uh, how they handle, I guess, their hooker position and what they do with that. 
I'm very interested to see how the Titans go and how they bounce back. Uh, and I'm also very interested to see how the Rabbitohs bounce back. Although they're playing Manly, so that's probably going to be 50 nil. Um, and also the Broncos. I really want to see how they respond. Because I think they played well, and they, I might have been a bit too low on them. They might have the talent throughout the squad. Just that raw special ability with guys like Milford, Asako, you know, Tavita Pangai Jr., Payne Haas when he returns. Uh, they've got the talent to make a run for that lower half of the eight. Whether they make it, I don't know. I don't think they will. But maybe I was too low on them. But I'm, I'm really interested to see how they go next week. But yeah, other than that, that was episode one of Beyond the Fence, the podcast. Like I said, it's, this isn't an NRL podcast specifically. It's just, you know, with round one happening, I wasn't not going to talk about, I guess, the fallout, all the games, and my thoughts on the rule changes. Uh, we'll be doing some other stuff. There'll be some basketball. There'll be some stuff about soccer. Um, Formula One season is coming up, so I probably want to talk a bit about that as well. There will be guests on in the future. I just, you know, wanted to do this first one by myself. But yeah, other than that, thank you for listening. Please go check out the website. There's a few really good articles on there, uh, but especially the NRL, uh, NRL Twitter season preview, which I can't take any credit for from a content point of view, but that I think is a really special bit of kit. Um, you know, a preview by the fans, for the fans. Um, other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben S. Quag. You can follow Beyond the Fence at Beyond T. Fence. And other than that, Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you again next week. Come on. Come on. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. There's got to be an investigation into this. This has got to be, someone's got to be accountable for this.